Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today is Montal So Iris Intense, and it is this amazing, creamy, waxy, makeup-y, lipsticky iris, just the way I like it, with beautiful notes of sandalwood and musk. And most exciting of all is that it is part of my drumroll please custom discovery set that I curated in partnership with Twisted Lily. And I just need to say a word on that, which is that I am forever grateful and in awe of you guys because I posted about it on Thursday at 5 p.m. And by 10 p.m., every kit was sold out. Thank you. Thank you for sharing my passion. Thank you for trusting my taste. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for letting me be a part of your scent stories. I am just forever grateful and indebted to you guys. And you make every day so special and fun for me. And I love being able to share this passion with you guys. If you purchased a kit, I hope you absolutely love it. If you didn't, I'm working with Twisted Lily and will let you know as soon as they are restocked. But one tidbit I just wanted to share here because I don't know if it made the final cut on the Twisted Lily website. If you actually are looking for the kit and you want to see, I have a whole landing page. You can go to twistedlily.com and then in the toolbar, click talent. Et voila, you will find it. But I put together a theme behind this discovery set and that theme was old Hollywood glam. And I actually had written up a little blurb about each fragrance and where they fit in in that old Hollywood glam theme. And I don't know if it made it to the website. So let me tell you what So Iris Intense was, which was a Hollywood starlet at night unwinding for bed. They just had an amazing night out and now they're home at the boudoir in kitten heels and a sheer periwinkle feather sleeve robe. To me, this fragrance is that intimate. It is sheer, it is cozy, it is makeup-y, it is a sensual whisper. And for everyone who is part of the March Smell Club, if you can think of Molecule One plus Iris, it kind of feels like that except a little bit sweeter and a little bit more lipsticky, makeup-y, whereas Molecule One Plus Iris might go just like a tad, I guess, cleaner. But if you like that one, there's a very, very good chance you will also like So Iris Intense. And also, not to get all used car salesmen on you guys, however, just throwing it out there, the kit costs $25, and then if you do order one of the full bottles from the kit, that $25 goes towards the full bottle. So if, in theory, you knew you wanted a full bottle, you kind of get the full bottle plus five free samples. Can I get 25? Going once, going twice, sold. Okay, that was it. That was my entire sales pitch of the episode. I'm sorry, I am done. Let's get to today's guest because I love her and I loved recording this episode and it is part of the reason why I love doing this podcast so much because no matter who you talk to, everyone has a deep connection to scent. It is the tie that binds us. And you know what? I love the esoteric inside baseball niche fragrance episodes just as much as you do, but I love talking to people outside of this little bubble that we are all in And that is exactly what today's episode is all about. I am joined by the famous retired professional wrestler, now producer, Gail Kim. Gail has wrestled independently with WWE and with TNA, which is now known as Impact. She was the first female inductee in the TNA Hall of Fame 
and the first ever Knockouts champion, not to mention the most decorated ever with seven title reigns. And as I mentioned, she is now on the other side of the camera as a producer at Impact Wrestling, and she is also married to the celebrity chef and Food Network star, Robert Irvine, which don't you worry, we talk all about in today's episode. Okay, here's my other weird flex of the episode. I met Gail at an event in South Beach, and I instantly felt connected to her because she has this magnetic energy, and you will feel it throughout the whole episode. She's just so personable and fun and has this way of instantly making you feel like a friend. And that's also part of the reason why I am just so in awe of her, because as easygoing and fun as she is outside of the ring, as you will hear in the episode, when she is in it, she is in it. We chat about the fragrances she wears, the smells of love and Robert and her home, how she learned to embrace her intensity and found her signature style, how she broke stereotypes and overcame barriers in the industry, and so much more. This episode is absolutely fascinating and honestly, a great change-up from the standard episode. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Gail Kim. Gail, welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually excited because I get to talk about something different than wrestling. I mean, I know we'll probably talk about that, but it's exciting to talk about other stuff. <laughs> Listen, there's a parallel between wrestling and scent, and we will find it. So I got to ask, are you wearing any fragrances right now? You know, on the day-to-day, I do not. I kind of fell out of it because I used to all the time. And then, I don't know, I just got, I don't know if it just became, I just fell out of the routine somehow. But Robert, my husband, mm-hmm. he's the total opposite end of the spectrum. So it's interesting. And people tell him all the time how good he smells. I mean, it's a very common uh, comment he gets, <laughs> which makes me laugh because it's, oh. you know, it's a distinct, unique smell. And I'm sure since you know about, uh, you know, fragrances and you know, with body types and body chemistry. And I'm interested to actually take a deep dive in all that because, um, and along with like pheromones and all those things, because I feel like that's how me and Robert kind of started in that sense, our relationship and our attraction to each other. So we always tell that story. So when you first met him, did you also notice this said scent? Um, Well, I noticed... I didn't even notice a certain cologne smell, per se. It was just this pheromonal attraction. Um, like, an, I'd never experienced it before. It was like this almost animal attraction, as you say, in, you know, the, the yeah. saying goes. And it's funny because when we first started dating, I always tell people the story because I, I never experienced it before. We used to go in for a kiss, right? And we both, not even saying it to each other, we just stop right before we kiss and just go and just sniff almost. And <laughs> it was this crazy thing. I never, like I said, never experienced before. And that's how I kind of knew that one of the signs that we belong together. Oh my God. It's like animal instinct. Very much so. And it's funny because I was talking about um, this with a girlfriend of mine who I wrestled with. And we got into this whole conversation about pheromones and animal instincts and how different people, depending on your chemistry, 
you smell different things. Like I could have no chemistry with a certain guy and he could have bad breath to me. <laughs> right. And whereas, 100%. whereas he could have good chemistry with someone else and she thinks he has the best breath or body order or whatever yes. it may be. So I found it so fascinating. And that's why I was interested to talk to you about all those things today. Yeah, no, I think that's very real. And I can even remember in my own dating life before I met my current boyfriend, I once dated this guy who, you know, he had good hygiene, he showered and everything, but whatever it was about his smell, it just yeah. like really yeah. turned me off. Yeah, the chemistry, right? Wasn't there. Yeah. For everybody listening, this amazing smelling husband who Gail is referring to is yes. Chef Robert Irvine, who you may know from the Food Network. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Gail, for everybody listening, what is this scent that everyone is obsessed with? Yeah, so he's gone through a couple and I think the key here was he always mixed two colognes. So he'd have to buy two colognes and he'd do like equal spritzes, but he would do like 20 spritzes. It's a running joke at how much he <laughs> sprays himself. But it does last all day, I'll say that. Um, at the beginning, he was doing a mix of Kenneth Cole, I believe, vintage black mixed with, mm -hmm. I think it was Chanel Blue. Something like that. He had two combinations, but now he's just with Chanel Blue because they discontinued one of those colognes. So he found mm -hmm. the Chanel Blue and he really liked it. Really expensive, I have to say. Um, but hey, it's a scent and that's what he likes to be known for. And yeah. now he's just been a diehard Chanel Blue fan for a long time. The perfume, of course. Um, wow. And I've always been... Um, so back in the day, my regular one was that I thought got the best body chemistry with me was uh, Ralph Lauren's Romance. and Classic. And the, yes. And the only reason why, because I couldn't really smell myself per se, um, but Robert yeah. loved it. He just absolutely loved it. So, of course, I wanted to wear it because I wanted him to be attracted to me in that sense. But then I was mm -hmm. wearing it at work. I, that's This is when I stopped wearing perfume regularly. It's because I was wearing it every mm -hmm. day and I was in the locker room with all the girls and everyone would be like, oh, my God, you smell so good. What is that? And I told the girls and then everyone started buying it. <laughs> so I said, I don't want to smell like everyone else. Right. So I kind of stopped and then I started searching for a new scent. And I go between that kind of uh, romance uh, smell. Mm -hmm. And then I also like there's one and it's a Burberry brand, mm -hmm. but it's more of the shower fresh kind of scent. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like that personally for myself, but Robert didn't react too strongly to it. So mm. I kind of just do it on a very casual basis. Interesting. Okay. So I'm curious, yeah. is there any sort of like ring etiquette? Like, are there any rules around wearing fragrances during matches or how much you can put on or certain types of scents that you're supposed to avoid? That's interesting. I feel like I never really smell strong perfumes from the girls. If anything, they mm -hmm. use a lot of maybe body sprays and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. And the girls generally just smell like girls, like very nice. And then the nice. guys, you walk into the guys area and I'm like, I just smell B.O. Right. <laughs> Which is hilarious, right? So I'm like, it smells like girls in here or it smells like boys in here. Um, right. But there's no etiquette really. I mean, unless it's a too strong, I don't think anyone's really going to say anything. That checks out, yeah. How would you describe your overall aesthetic and 
Does fragrance have any part in that? I mean, I am just definitely more of a clean, uh, natural person. I do, like I said, if I do wear scents, it's the romance at night and the evenings for when I go out. So mm -hmm. I, I would say I go with my scent for my mood, right? Or my right. Uh, occasion. So a normal day-to-day -day for me is working out. I wake up, I work out, and I have that natural kind of tomboy day-to-day, uh, -day, and that's my daily. So I keep it pretty natural then. And then I am also a very girly girl, and I do like to dress up, and I like uh, going out and looking good for my husband and him being proud of me and me being his wifey. And so that's when I, you know, that's when I really like put on the perfume, really get dressed up, do the makeup, but I'm kind of that natural day-to-day -day girl. And then I truly yeah. love to dress up and, you know, take care of myself. I do. Yeah. Everybody always says I'm dressed up all the time, which is funny because I could be wearing jeans and they'll be like, you're just so dressed up and I, I don't I don't see it. You know, how you look reflects on how you feel. And I'm a true believer in right. that. So when you look good, you feel good. And is your wrestling persona in the ring? You know, Gail Kim in the ring. Is that the same Gail Kim that we get outside of the ring? Oh, my persona. I would say I'm very, I think if you ask people to describe me, I'm going to guess here. But as you get older, I think cause now I'm 45 you kind of get a grasp on how you're perceived because I never knew really how people perceived me before. Mm -hmm. um, but as time goes on, you know, people tell you or you just kind of become more aware of um, mm -hmm. how you present yourself. And I would say, I would say the one word that I think people would describe me as is intense. <laughs> so I'm very intense. I'm very passionate. So it's when I am dedicated to something and I know I want to do something or accomplish something, I am, you know, just so focused in tunnel vision. Um, and I've even had someone ask me in an interview before, you know, you're very intense. Do you wish that sometimes you weren't as intense? And at that moment, I didn't expect to uh, get that question. And I almost was like, oh, my God, is that a bad thing? And so I was like, mm -hmm. um, well, now I would say absolutely not, because mm -hmm. my intensity is what has made me driven and mm -hmm. has what has made me passionate on a level that may be more so than others. And it brought me all the success that I ever, you know, accomplished in my life. So the things that maybe people see it as bad I, I don't. I think I would never trade that for anything in the world. I like my intensity. Okay, but I do feel like there is a difference between being an intense person versus like that very specific wrestling intensity that you have to have. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, intensity, tenacity aside, I do find you to be one of the nicest people I've ever met. And then I watch your clips and I hear you transform and you're like, I'm going to kick her ass. Like, who do you channel? What do you do to find that version of Gail? Yeah, I mean, you know what's so funny? I There is, um, I have friends who are also my work associates. So mm -hmm. we call it work Gail or fun Gail, mm -hmm. right? So you right. met you met fun Gail 
in a very mm-hmm. relaxed party environment. And it's funny because, mm-hmm. like, for example, my boss, uh, he's also my friend. I've known him for 20 years. And I just made the realization the other day, wow, um, you've hardly met Fun Gale. You've only met Work Gale. And so mm-hmm. he sees me in this very maybe rigid, structured, uh, intense individual. And I don't even know sometimes my face at work is just so serious because I'm serious about my job. So it's, it is interesting. And I never know what I'm portraying, to be honest. Um, I guess it Mm -hmm. depends on the environment I'm in at the moment and with Robert. And when I'm with him, I'm just more laid back. Right. And I'm yeah. Fun, fun Gail, we'll call it. And I have fun at work too. It's just, I am intense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But with all that in mind, like say you are building this feud with someone that you have a match against. Yeah. When the cameras cut, do yeah. these feuds ever carry off screen? It can carry off screen if say, I would say, okay. So if I know I'm leading into an important match, I could be intense, mm-hmm. focus Gail outside of work and for example I had retired and I wasn't happy with my retirement Mm -hmm. so about 15 months later I saw another girl and I was like I need to come out of retirement for her and so I didn't wrestle for 15 months and because I take my craft so seriously and I'm a perfectionist that's all I could think about for two months so I'm sure during that two months I was just intense whether it was at work or not at work because that's all I thought about and so right. I don't even know when I'm turning it on enough. It's really in my brain, the mental process. And so I know when I'm thinking about work and I'm focused, that's all I can think about. Right. Um, so right. I'm not necessarily turning it on and off at my will. It's just happening, happening naturally. Um, wow. There are times when Robert will say, for example, Stop working. Get, stop it. Like, get out of the headspace. <laughs> it's just you and me time. So I will yeah. make that extra effort to be, okay, aware and say, okay, Gail, just drop it. Put your phone away. Yep. Don't think about it. Let's just relax and enjoy each other. So there are times when I have to literally talk to myself and tell me that. Um, but... Yeah, it's just a natural process most of the time. And then it can end. So once that match or feud is over, if it's great, I can be on that high for weeks. Right. For weeks, if it goes magically, you could be on this cloud nine for a long time. But if it goes bad, then I could beat myself up for weeks as well, right? So um, most of the time, I would hope that I put in the work enough to get the great results. So... So far, so good. Yeah. And then Robert, too, also has this intense public work persona. And I don't want to say you guys both have characters. Maybe it's like ultra heightened, focus mode, serious versions of yourselves. But man, that kind of energy under one roof. What a match. You know what it is? We're both very strong personalities. Uh, I would say that. Um, So people will always ask also, you know, how did a chef and a wrestler get together? It's so weird. It's so Mm -hmm. odd. Mm -hmm. But really, yes, we're in very different fields, but our personalities and lifestyles are very much the same. We both travel. It's both entertainment, uh, just different worlds. You know, he has a completely different fan base than I do. 
And, um, you know, he at the beginning, he was just like weirded out. And he's like, oh, my gosh, your fans are weird. And but they're very yeah passionate, just like I'm saying. Right. So wrestling mm-hmm. fans are so loyal and so passionate. And it's funny because they could hate this wrestler from this company and love this wrestler from this company. But as soon as an outsider goes to criticize anything in wrestling, they'll all come for you, you know? So right, it's, it's right. an interesting process. And he has all the kids. And I mean, like he could meet a family and the four-year-old kid could recognize Robert and say, mom, dad, you know, look, there's Robert. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, oh, okay. You know, and not know. So it's interesting, um, the dynamic. And I will say he's the first man in my life that has consistently motivated me, inspired me to this day. We've been together 13 years and I've never met any, I've never met anyone who has done that for me before. I mean, I truly, he's the hardest working man I know and has a huge heart. Um, And I just feel like I couldn't have, I don't think there's anybody that could put up with either of our strong personalities. That's why I always say we're a good fit for each other because no one else would put up with each other. Perfect match. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Hello, hello. Are you loving this episode? I am here to bring you my top sniffs of the week, and they are all new fragrances. We have Acro Ink, Maison Cire Ombre Magique, and Maison Cire Vert Empire. Let's start with Acro Ink. This is a fragrance from the Acro line, which is As you know, the line created by master perfumer Olivier Cresp and his daughter Anaïs, and ink is inspired by the smell of getting a tattoo. It has notes of ink, tar, vetiver, jasmine, and it is just, it's like a modern vetiver with this like dirty, floral, slightly sweet vibe, and it just feels edgy. And what I love about the entire Acro line is that it's at once incredibly realistic and also abstract because it somehow encapsulates that exact feeling and smell of getting a tattoo, but it's still perfume. It's still an artistic expression and take on the act of getting a tattoo. As in, you do want to smell like it. If you like Guerlain Vetiver, but you want something with a more modern, edgy twist, I definitely recommend Acro Ink. I also just want to shout out Acro Malt, which is not new, but I just finally smelled it. And it was not one that I was expecting to love based on the notes and the concept. And oh my God, it is like whiskey and vanilla and seaweed and something about it. This is very specific. But when I was a kid, I always had like glitter slime, you know, before like slime was a thing on TikTok that you watched as like some version of like ASMR. There was like, you could get glitter slime and it had a very distinct smell. I guess it's sort of like a sweet seaweed smell. And when I smelled this, it instantly took me there and it just made me so happy. The marine facet makes it irresistible in this almost like I don't know, like animalic way. It's not animalic, but more of just like a primal way. That's what I'm trying to say. And Maison Cire, that line is very different, more of just classically beautiful, easy to wear, stunning fragrances. And the two that I got to try were Ombre Magique, which is almost like a solar amber scent. It's like lemony and citrusy and fresh, 
but still feels ambery and warm and is just very beautiful and cozy and happy at the same time. And Vermpire, there was not a white tea note listed, but if you are a lover of Bulgari white tea, if you like those scents, there does seem to be like a slight nod to that. This one has more green and citrus notes and is inspired by the perfumer and the creator of the line, Alberto Marias, who is also a master perfumer. It was inspired by the smells of his Calabrian childhood. All stunners, all instant loves for me. Let's get back to Gail. Okay, I'm gonna try and make one of my um, wrestling fragrance parallels here. Yes. In the fragrance world, a big point of contention right now, and I guess also simultaneously progress, is the sort of exoticizing of spicy, ambery notes. So yeah. previously, anything that had that sort of smell was classified, and I'm not going to use the word, but it's that word that starts with O and has to do with how the West yeah. sees the East. They are now called amber fragrances, and that is because activists in the community have worked tirelessly to retire the O word and kind of call out that, you know, there's a difference between ingredients from Morocco versus China versus Indonesia, and you can't just lump it all together and stamp it as exotic and call it a day. Okay, so here is my stretch, getting back to wrestling. Are you ready? When I first met you, I remember that you brought up that early in your career when you were at WWE, they wanted your character to speak Korean, and you yeah. were like, okay, um, but I, I don't. So I'm curious, what actually happened and how did you deal with it? You know, I have a very strong personality, like uh, we've just discussed, and I'm very feisty. And so, you know, there's personalities who will bend to whatever is necessary, I guess, to climb the ladder of success. And for me, I'm... I've always been very drawn to being authentic and being myself because I truly believe mm -hmm. your success comes from being the best version of yourself. And if you're not comfortable with what you're doing, I just don't see the point in a lot of ways. Um, and it was such a contrast of who I was and how they wanted to portray me. I was just like, Ugh. Mm -hmm. Am I going to do this to please the corporation? I, uh, it just wasn't me. I just wasn't one of those people that were yeah. willing to politic and be fake. And um, I could have found a way to do it being myself, I guess. But I guess I didn't see that option at the time. Um, right. And yeah, it was more of a very stereotypical, you know, do you speak Korean? Do you speak Korean? You know, and I'm like, no, I was born and raised in Canada. And it's just very difficult for me to uh, be fluent and I can try, but I don't think I'm going to learn a whole language in the time that you want me to yeah. and be the character that you want me to be because I was just this woman who because at the time that I was in that company women's wrestling wasn't really a strong thing at that point we did have women wrestlers but they chose to not really uh give us a platform to be the best athletes we could be and that's all I mm -hmm. wanted to be was that pure athlete and so mm -hmm. and you know maybe I was in wrestling at the wrong time uh that's what a lot of fans say to me like 
you were more ahead of your time and you came at a time that maybe didn't work because nowadays women's wrestling is off the charts and it's you know right. main eventing pay-per-views and and shows and it's really a draw now and so they didn't see the value in it back then and so it was always a constant battle I would felt like um so I like I said, I always just felt like I just wanted to be authentic. And I knew I wasn't that stereotypical role that they wanted me to be. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they didn't. But that was the impression I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so now you are a producer. How mm-hmm. do you think your experience having been a wrestler prior helped you in this current role? Yeah, mostly producing is completely different from being a wrestler. And, out there. and I have the wrestling knowledge, but it was basically almost like having a baseline knowledge, but learning something new again, which I appreciated because at the end of my wrestling career, that's how I knew I wanted to retire because not only my injuries, but I told myself, what's my next goal? What's my next goal as a wrestler? And I couldn't answer that. I felt really complete in my accomplishments in the ring. And it was kind of just changing near the end because I'd been a veteran or experienced in that locker room for so long that now the younger generation who I was working with were coming to me mm-hmm. to ask me my advice or asking me my feedback. So I learned over time with that gradual change that I really enjoyed mentoring or teaching. And um, I just really gra- you know, embraced that. And I love being around women and females and us supporting each other and really uh, propping each other up because Mm -hmm. it can be, especially in entertainment in the beginning, in your 20s, you just feel this competitiveness with the girls. And also in a corporation, they kind of want you to be cutthroat and be out for yourself. And it's a very, entertainment can be a very selfish business. And so I never really loved the cutthroat aspect of the business. I just wanted to do what I loved. And I think over time, that's what really um, gave me the advantage in a sense, because I just really appreciated helping others. And I saw what resulted from that. And it's just bringing all these women together. I have so many close girlfriends, like they're like my family. And I couldn't even imagine my life without having all these close girlfriends and other women in my life to help, Mm -hmm. you know, empower me. And I try to do the same for them. It's just a really good feeling. I, um, I don't, I don't like to see women going at it. I, I like when we're a strong unit. It's funny to hear you say that because obviously it's very clear that there's this amazing camaraderie you know, out of the ring. Yeah. But when you are in the ring, that your entire role is to go at it. Yeah. And we definitely have a bond. And I would say it's the bond within the business in general. Yeah. But it is a sisterhood. And yeah. Even the girls who say maybe in my 20s, I didn't get along with maybe. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, being so further down the road now all of us being older and some of them becoming moms and you know when you become a mother you become just selfless at this point because everything's about your kid and you really realize okay it's not just about me and then relationships get better and I'm just I could not talk to some of these girls for a year or two and just pick up where we left off because we just have that bond and that's what I love most about 
the business I'm in. Um, it really is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, and uh, we really do have each other's backs. And, you know, it's it's like any family, I guess. You fight sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and then you get along, yeah. and it's the bond is strong. And, yeah, it's fun. Okay, so I have to ask, had you ever been in any sort of physical altercation yeah. prior to becoming a professional wrestler? Oh, you mean a real fight? Yeah. A real fight? Okay, yes. In grade six or grade five, I remember getting into this fight with a friend. And I used to get into a fight in elementary school. I think I got into a lot of fights now that I'm thinking about it. And then I got into a, a fight in the French class with a boy who used to always pick on me. We'd get into fights all the time. I remember the teacher pulling us apart. But I was always a good student, too, at the same time. I was a right, straight-A right. student, so... I think I never really got into too much trouble because I was a great yeah. student. It's just I happened to yeah. get into the right fight, right? So it's interesting. Wow. Yeah. And then I would say there's one other time when I was maybe 19 or something. And, you know, sometimes you just something happened at a nightclub. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed to talk about it now <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I was so young back then. And I knocked over someone's drink and this girl tried to fight with me. And as I always said, she started it and I finished it. <laughs> wow. Also, from my understanding, so much of wrestling mm -hmm. is that sort of like improvisation yes. and that performance element. Was there, in addition to like any of the physical training, any sort of improv or acting coaching? Um, I mean, in a sense, not as much as the physical training. Uh, you, you would go through training sessions with certain schools, say, um, or developmental, uh, for WWE where they say, okay, let's do promo class. And mm -hmm. they would say, okay, you're going to cut a promo for about a minute long and you're going to fight this person and on this performance and go, you know, and I would say that was always my weak point and always my uh, my fear, my biggest fear was being put on the spot in front of everyone. So yeah. uh, that took a long time, a long time for me to feel comfortable. And I remember even in my early years, making it to that level of TV level and the camera would be in my face and I just start in my, you know, maybe I wasn't outwardly sweating, but I was sweating <laughs> and I'm just panicking. Yeah. And every time I look at the camera, I would see the reflection back in my face. And I'm like, I can't focus. I can't talk. And so I'd feel much more comfortable talking in front of a crowd. So I could be in front of thousands of people in a crowd, but because I didn't have one person looking back at me, the comfort level was just so much better. Um, it's just when that one camera was in my face and the pressure was on, I didn't like that. But that took about, I would say, like eight years to feel comfortable. It took a wow. long time. There's just something about like looking into a camera lens that just feels like a very different experience. It is. But I will say this generation, though, because there's phones everywhere and yes. people are now online doing these TikToks and everything, I find that a lot of people, I find generally people are way more comfortable being on in front of a camera yeah, yeah. compared to yeah. what it was like before. Okay, speaking of this generation and coming up on TikTok mm -hmm. and you were talking about your sister being much more musical, yeah. I must know, 
How did your parents respond when you told them that this is what you wanted to do? Okay. Now, I always preface this with don't necessarily follow what I did. (laughs) So my (laughs) parents were very traditional Korean parents. I mean, I just, I remember them telling me, you go to school, uh, you go to high school, you get a diploma, go to university. And I, they wanted me to go to the best university, be a doctor or marry doctor or lawyer, you know, either or, and mm-hmm. have a very structured life. And of course I was never, the, I was very rebellious, but still kept a good head on my shoulders because I was raised properly, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was going to University of Toronto and that's when I fell into wrestling again, like watching it as a fan again. I got caught up in the women. Mm-hmm. What I got caught up on was this completely random storyline. But at the same time, that's when women's wrestling started picking up a little bit. And WWE mm-hmm. at that time had a small group of women that they were allowing to wrestle as strong women. And I was obsessed. I could not miss it every week. And I noticed over time, hey, there's no there's no female, Asian female in that group. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a chance. And I that's when this is how I'm showing my age right now. It's like internet was kind of new. Right? And I was like mm-hmm. surfing the web. I know it sounds so old. <laughs> and I found this wrestling school that was in Toronto, where I'm from. And I just kind of inquired. And I've always just been a very spontaneous type person so like I said my parents were very traditional so I took my tuition money for the second semester and I lied to them and told them I was going to school the whole time and I put that money towards wrestling school and I went to wrestling school and I told myself okay I'm just gonna tell them when I make it because in my mind I thought oh I'll make it after a year So I didn't realize what a journey it could be because some people take, I mean, there's no time really. It could take 10 years, but I believed in- Or never. Yeah, or never. And I just always believed in myself. And I always said, when I make it, not if I make it. And I Mm -hmm. somehow got signed within two years. It was a miracle. I wasn't ready, but I had a perfect tryout match um, day and somehow I got signed and, you know, it didn't go so well for me in my early in my career, but I still, that was my path to be thrown into it. And I learned so much and quickly. And I, I never really officially told them. I think it was kind of like one day they kind of noticed and I said, yeah, I'm wrestling. And they're like, huh? And they came to watch a match. And next thing you know, I'm signed by WWE. <laughs> And I've oh never God. stopped. I know it's kind of crazy. And they've never mentioned yeah. the tuition thing because they. I don't think they even really kind of know to this I'm day. I'm very happy it worked out. For it's, <laughs> I know. Me too. I'm, I'm really fortunate that I've been able to keep it going this long because it can be a very okay. short career for most. Well, you've had a tremendous career and you are one of the most decorated wrestlers of all time. And now you are on the other side of the camera. I know you and Robert are both traveling all the time. Was COVID the most consecutive time that you have spent together? Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we're very fortunate because we have space. It's not like we live in New York Mm -hmm. in this tiny little shoebox. And and so we were really good. We didn't even say to each other, give me space or anything. He just kind of stayed inside 
and I would go outside and we both kind of FaceTime our friends or watch them do our own mm-hmm. thing and then come together. Almost like when we were on the road, we it would be like we're on the road, except I'd be outside and he'd be inside. Um, yeah. It was an interesting time. And we actually, you know, some people said it either drove them apart or really brought them together. And I think it brought us together. We did a few online cooking live things, which was fun. And we started bike riding. We bought two bikes because we couldn't go to the gym, obviously. And um, we discovered these paths that we've been living near for years and we never really got to enjoy it. And I used to go to these in-studio classes all the time that would cost me an arm and a leg. Right. Now I do it online for 30 bucks a month, right? So it's like so many things that you discovered during that time. And does your house have a scent? I mean, I'm sure it always smells like great cooking, but do you guys light candles or anything like that? Not necessarily in our house that I notice, but because we travel so much, Robert has... You know, sometimes when you walk into some hotels, they have this scent of, I personally love lavender spa scents. Like that's what mm-hmm. makes me relax. So now I'm at the point where I know it's lavender that I choose. So say I go to a spa and go to the facial and uh, the last part of moisturizing, she'll be like, okay, well, I have this scent, this scent. I'm like, ah, lavender. And now I've gone into lavender hand sprays, uh, hand sanitizers. That's my choice, I would say, because it reminds me of the spa and being relaxed. So if you were ever to create a Gail Kim fragrance, you know, for the fans, what would it smell like? Would it, I don't know, have any of that lavender? Oh my gosh, I've never even thought about that. (laughs) But um, yeah, I probably would go in that direction, probably that, or maybe something a little spicy, because sometimes I can be a little spicy. It, it depends on my mood. Okay, let's see how far I can continue to stretch this um, fragrance wrestling analogy. Yeah. Oftentimes, people have signature fragrances. I know you mm-hmm. talked about Ralph Lauren romance. Yeah. We must talk about your signature wrestling move, Eat Defeat. Yeah. Can you tell us <laughs> about this move and how it came about? So everyone has what we call a finishing move. So... It's what the fans recognize that you normally win with, right? And so, and you could have signature moves that are part of your, you know, repertoire of um, things fans will recognize that is yours, you know, that other wrestlers maybe not, won't do. Uh, Eat Defeat, though, it took me a long time because I wrestled for 17 years on, you know, on camera. And for the first half of my career, I just like, I didn't know what would be my finisher. What's my finisher? So I went through a sequence of different things and I did this top rope spot. But when it comes to your finishing move, uh, I'll give you insights, insider secrets. So basically, you the general rule of thumb with your finishing move is that you have to be able to generally do it to everyone. So say if you're going to pick up someone, you should be able to pick up everyone and hit that move. Um, sometimes people have a backup. And so I did a submission move at one point. I did, But generally, fans like to see that one, two, three, so that they get excited. So that's generally right. what I want. I did want to move. And then so I went back to my wrestling school, came back to my roots um, after being in the business for so long. And my old trainer was training all these group of students and they had all these crazy 
unique moves and they were teaching me. So they were teaching me and I liked that move. And I said, can I steal that? <laughs> you know, I go, I'd love to steal that move because I think that everyone, I can do it to everyone. And um, yeah, so I took it and then I started doing it on TV. And eventually one of the other guys who worked with me, I didn't have a name for it. And he goes, I guess someone else um, was doing it, maybe not on TV uh, within the wrestling community. Mm -hmm. And someone called it Eat the Feet. And then so another mm -hmm. wrestler that I worked with in WWF, WWE, he said, oh, you got to call it Eat the Feet. And I was like, hey, yeah, why not? Anything sticks in wrestling if you do it repetitive, repetitively right. enough. And so I just right. started calling it Eat the Feet and... It just kind of stuck and now it's there. I have to say, since I've met you, I have really gone down this rabbit hole mm -hmm. of wrestling. <laughs> I have watched so many, any wrestling documentary that exists, I have probably watched it. The good, the bad. It's also wild, speaking mm -hmm. of, which we don't have to today, but just the whole dark side of the industry. Oh, yeah. No, but it's very interesting, right? You would never even yeah. think yeah. that there's this dark world, but there is. I, I also think, too, and this is something I've been realizing as I've gotten more and, and more entrenched in wrestling, mm -hmm. and I guess this is true with other athletes also, but when you're a wrestler, your currency is your body. I mean, you have to put so much trust, not in only your opponent, but in your organization, and in general, you know, just sort of hope and also know that no matter what, you're going to ultimately be safe. Yes. I mean, you hope for that and you gen you are giving that trust to that person in the ring and you could not like that person in the ring you're with. But there's that general unspoken rule that it doesn't matter how you feel about each other outside the ring. You trust each other within the ring. Right. Um, I would say if there's not a trust, I would just say that the circumstances could be because of experience. So say someone's mm -hmm been wrestling 10 years and then they had to wrestle someone who's only been wrestling a year um that's when you know you just got to be smart about it you know what moves are you going to do mm -hmm. because you wouldn't maybe do a move that you rely so much on your opponent on right um so right i went through different phases of my career where i wrestled very um athletic women and girls who were very experienced but then i in WWE, they had a mix of girls who were very experienced in the ring and then some that were more model-like and maybe didn't enjoy wrestling so much. So mm -hmm. I went back and forth from WWE to TNA, which is Impact now. Uh, and then I went back right. to WWE. So the second time I went back, I knew, you know, there was a small handful of girls that maybe weren't as experienced as uh the other girls. So I knew, okay, you know what? I'm going to change up my style. Um, so when I know I'm in the ring with a girl that's more experienced, I know I can just bring it up another level. But when I'm in right. the ring with the girls who are more characters or maybe are not as comfortable doing certain wrestling moves, I'm going to do them. I taught myself moves where I didn't have to rely on them. Um, so mm -hmm. it's just really about planning and being smart and uh, working different styles. And I think that was really the key to my success throughout my career is that I always kind of changed my style for each opponent. And sometimes people don't do that. They just kind of work their own style and that's it, right? I tried to play to my opponent's strengths. And so uh, I always thought, what can we both do that's going to make this match 
the best it can be. I mean, the idea of adjusting your choreography and your moves to your opponent's level is just so impressive and so athletic. And I know that this is probably taboo, so stop me if I shouldn't be asking. But with that said, knowing that these moves are choreographed to the extent of, you know, you know you're not going to get hurt doing them, are the winners predetermined? And can I even be asking that? Yeah, generally when wrestlers hear, oh, that's, you know, from fans, or sorry, non-wrestling fans, they'll be like, oh, what do you mm -hmm. do? And I'll say, I'm, I was a pro wrestler. And wait, what? And they're like, oh yeah, that's fake, right? And so that's the F word <laughs> to wrestlers, right. yeah. So, right, um, right. but we know it's a very common comment. And so what I always right. tell them is, yes, it's sports entertainment, but it's mm -hmm. very physically demanding and very real in that right. aspect. And we're trained. We're trained like stunt people right. to fall. We're stunt, uh, We're trained um, to do things properly. That's why they say don't do this at home. Don't try this at home. Um, mm -hmm. Because it is a lot of training and learning how to fall. And oh, trust me, in my first two weeks of training, I remember having spasms laying on the couch yeah. and not being able to move I, uh, and I we can't even imagine oh it was hell but you know you it's it sounds crazy but you go through this phase of um almost toughening up your body to get used to the car wreck <laughs> every day yeah yeah so right you have to yeah you have to and your body becomes so used to and accustomed to being beat up that when you take a long break and then you go back to it, it's even worse. So it's almost like you have to keep your body in this abuse state constantly. Right. Um, yeah. Sounds crazy that we'd want to do that, but we do and we don't care. And when you're in your 20s, you feel invincible. And then I would say in my 40s or when I started getting near 40 or 40, um, I really started to feel the effects of my long career. I'm sure. And yeah. that's when I was like, okay, I need to really um, think smarter, even though I never really uh, eased up on my physicality or what I would do. I just planned better. I took care of my body a lot more. Uh, I should have taken care mm -hmm. of it earlier. Um, but yeah, you just learn. You just feel invincible when you're in your 20s. I'm sure you feel invincible now, don't you? Well, you see, Gail, I'm actually 30 now, so... Oh, you're 30, okay. Um, but if you asked me when I was 29, just a few months ago, oh, yeah, totally invincible. But I will say, you know, you were talking about how as a wrestler you have to train your body essentially to deal with, like, a permanent cycle of abuse. Mm -hmm. And this morning I was just getting something from under my bed and strained my neck and <laughs> yes. didn't move for five hours. So ultimately what it comes down to is that we are cut from a very different cloth. There is no parallel universe in which no matter how hard I train, I would ever be ready or able to take on what you take on. And I think that that speaks to your athleticism and your perseverance. And to go back to what you said at the beginning, honestly, your intensity. But in wrestling, I always find there's a role for everyone. So I know a lot mm -hmm. of people who love wrestling and yeah, they never felt so athletic and so they mm -hmm. were drawn to other roles in wrestling which is a backstage interviewer a ring announcer right. a commentator yeah, a yeah. manager just a character i truly believe right. there's a role for anyone uh and you can find a role if you love it that much 
that will play to your strengths. I love that. I was the one who, when I was in school, I actually did win games of dodgeball, but only because I literally hid behind every single person (laughs) until all the people who took risks were out. And then people would be like, why is Emma still standing? So you used your brains, that's why, right? So you're smarter than the rest. There's an element of strategy, but it's definitely outside of the ring for me. Gail, it has been amazing to talk to you and such an honor. And, you know, for everyone listening, this is a little bit of a palate cleanser from the very, very fragrance-centric episodes that we do. But sometimes you meet someone who is so incredibly interesting and you just got to talk to them and have an interesting conversation. And maybe it's... Maybe this is, you know, let me let me know your feedback if you guys like these conversations that are with non-fragrance people because I personally love being able to talk to you. With that said, Gail, we have one final segment of the show and it is called, What's That Smell? Mmm, what's that smell? It is rapid fire scent association. Everything you say is correct. Are you ready to play What's That Smell? I, I'm nervous, but yes. <laughs> okay, first question. What is the smell of sixth grade Gale? <gasps> oh boy, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> like very rough and tumble. What is the smell of your college years? Ooh, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Vodka. Okay. Listen, I did the pub crawls and I was a bartender at the same time. So yeah, I experienced a lot of that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What is the smell of Toronto? <gasps> Ooh. I literally just sniffed right now. I just, uh, I was, I lived downtown. So I'm going to say from the lake, uh, the smell of the water and the air. Um, I lived downtown. I worked downtown. It was right on the waterfront pretty much. So that's what it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what is the smell of your childhood home? Korean food. (laughs) My mom was very domesticated. She made the bet. I'm sure everyone says their mom's. Made the best food or is the best No, no, yeah. not always. No. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Korean food. And I loved it all. Okay, and the final question. What is the smell of Gail Kim? I mean, how do you describe strength and intensity? No, I'm going to say more spicy because I am one of the spicier people that I know. Spicy. Yeah, Because and I love spicy. I love spicy eating. I love being spicy in my personality and feisty. So something strong, I would say. Strong and spicy. Gail, thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and I so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this. For everyone listening, for all the fragrance lovers who are now new wrestling lovers, or maybe they already were, where can people follow you? Uh, I have Twitter and I have Instagram and both the handles are the same. It's Gail Kim, it's me. And um, yeah, that's where you can follow me and see what's going on in my life. And I really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed meeting you at South Beach. I felt a nice connection with you and I enjoyed this talk. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 